Hi, this is Mark Hirschberg, CTO and author of the Career Toolkit. If you're wanting to learn how to embrace change, navigate disruption, become a better leader, then listen to Dennis Giannoutsos and I on Leadership is Changing. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. So perhaps the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. Welcome to today's episode. Great to have you with us again. Hey, I've got a wonderful guest with me today. His name is Mark Hirschberg, and he's the author of The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. From tracking criminals and terrorists in the dark web to creating marketplaces and new authentication systems, Mark has really spent his career launching and developing new ventures and startups and Fortune 500s and in academia. Mark, a big welcome to you. Thanks for having me on the show. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Now, whereabouts in the world are you today? I'm based in New York City. Ah, nice, nice, very nice. And tell us a little bit more about your background. In particular, let's talk about the academia side of things. I think you're involved with possibly MIT and, and other organizations. I am. I've had this very interesting dual journey. I started mm. my career as a software engineer and very early on realized I wanted to become a CTO, a chief technology officer. As I looked to understand what do I need to do to get that role, I realized it wasn't just about being a great engineer. Yes, I needed those skills. But there were all mm. these other skills, leadership, communication, networking, negotiating, hiring, team building. No one ever taught me this stuff. They don't teach it in school. So I had to develop it in myself. And as I was learning this, I realized these skills are not just for the top people. They're not just for the executives. Everyone benefits by having it. So I began to train up my team. Now, as I was doing this, MIT had done some surveys of companies asking about what skills are you looking for? And they came back with the same set of skills, leadership, communication, networking, negotiation, not just for MIT grads, not just for college grads, but universally for everyone, all disciplines, all levels. These are the skills that they want and can't find. So MIT wanted to put together a program to develop these skills. And when I heard about it, I reached out, I said, well, I have some content. And I thought that was going to be a one-time meeting, here you go. But after talking to them, they said, please help us develop this. And then said, you know, even though we have all these world-class professors from Sloan, from the School of Engineering, we don't have practitioners. And so we would love if you could come teach alongside them. And so I and other folks like me have now been teaching there for over 20 years. So I've had this parallel career as a CTO, building startups, helping large international organizations innovate. But then in parallel, the teaching at MIT and elsewhere, the speaking, and now the book as a dual career. 
Yeah, excellent. And in the book, the career toolkit, that's what actually details all of that and takes people through that. Now, you mentioned just before about developing your teams. Tell us a little bit more about that. What, what, what are you thinking there? Well, as I mentioned before, these skills are not just for senior people. Right. And what we need to do as leaders is to develop these skills in our teams. The reason we want to do this is not only because it benefits our team, but also today during the Great Resignation increases engagement. So there's a simple way you can do this. And I go through it in more detail on the resources page of my website. There's a completely free download. What you want to do is create peer learning groups. So put together groups of, I recommend six to eight people, but you can scale it up. And you have these folks get together, engage with some content. Now, yes, you can use my book and they read 15 pages of my book and then talk about it. If you don't want to use my book, use a different book, use an article, use a video, use a great podcast like this one, listen to the episode. But the key is they come together and discuss it because the way we learn these skills, it's different than how we usually learn. If you're learning accounting, okay, what are the accounting rules? I'm going to write them down, memorize it. The way you learned history in school, memorize the dates. There is no date to memorize for leadership. There's no formula for communication. You can't just memorize it. So when we come together in this group and we all read about leadership, as we have that discussion, I hear your perspective. You hear mine. We start to learn. Someone in the group says, I have a leadership challenge coming up. Here's what I'm thinking about. And the rest of us then help her out and we talk through it. And that gives us a chance to practice and think about things. Someone else says, oh, I had a similar case. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't. And that's what really develops those skills. It's in that discussion and not just from a book or a podcast. Obviously, I'm a fan of both, but that's the start of the discussion, not the end. And if you create this group, remember, there's no cost. It's free to download this program. If you want to use content like a podcast, completely free. If you use a book, okay, you pay for the book. You get as a benefit, one, you're upskilling your entire team. Two, you're increasing employee engagement. They feel, wow, you care about me. You're helping me. You're not just saying, here's your paycheck, go to your job. Three, you're increasing internal networking, those relationships that help people work more effectively and keep them more engaged and happier in the organization. And four, you create a common language. If, for example, your book is good to great, well, then you can say, oh, hedgehog model. Everyone says, oh, right, hedgehog. I read that chapter. I know exactly what you mean. So you're building that common language. So you get these four benefits all for free and you can upskill your entire team. Oh, that's brilliant. And Mark, I think you might be even the fifth one too, whereby they actually go and apply it because they've learned it, they've networked, all these things you've talked about. But then it actually takes that learning, that richness of it and going and applying it back into the workplace. That's awesome. And then and so the business is going to experience a way better person, people more happier, as you're saying. Oh, I think that's a fantastic idea. Uh, it's really good. What happens if everyone in your organization was... 1% better at leading, Wow. 1% better at communicating, at negotiating, at team building. What will that do to your bottom line? And now what if it's more than 1%? You can get massive returns. You don't have to boil the ocean, but just helping everyone a little has a huge ROI for your organization. Yeah. And over a year, two years, five years, it just makes a massive difference. Huh? Yeah. I think that's great. Very good. Now, we've, we've been talking a little bit about a little bit more about your background as well. And I see part of your bio that you're, you've been a, a top ranked Borum dancer. I was throughout my 20s. I competed all over the US. I went to England a couple times. 
and compete in ballroom dancing. I was pretty hardcore. There are four different styles of dance. Most people do one or two. I wanted to do all four. And so I trained in all four styles. Except if I'm flying out or driving out to a competition, I want to spend as much time on the floor as I can. It's a wonderful activity. Not only is it a great sport in terms of exercise and fun, I met wonderful people. It's a great community, lots of friendships, I expanded my network. It even helped with my leadership and public speaking. So I got some great externalities from it as well. Yeah, Mark, I wrote an article a couple of years ago on LinkedIn. Actually, I was interviewed for the article and then I used it as I had permission to use it. And on that article, I'll talk about a few things to help you when you're presenting up front or speaking and so forth. And one of those things were go and learn to dance. And uh, people are like, what? I'm like, yeah, because it helps you understand the floor. It helps you become more confident. It helps you understand how you can stand in your core and all that. And I think it's it's a good idea that people do that and take from there. So did you go to Blackpool? I did not go to Blackpool. I wish I did. Blackpool is the number one ballroom competition in the world. Yes, they're the world championships, but Blackpool is the place. And I always wanted to go, but the timing never worked out. I did have friends who went to Blackpool. Yeah, wow. It would be wonderful to dance here. Yeah, it'd be really cool. So what I'm really quite keen to understand here is your leadership experience. How did you get into leadership or what's been your experience around leadership? It wasn't necessarily intentional at first. As I mentioned, I knew I wanted to become a CTO and it wasn't yep. almost out of I want to lead. It was I looked at the challenges that a CTO faces. I thought those are some interesting problems. I want to take on those challenges. So I started to develop the skills. Now, leadership, people talk about developing leadership, but I think it's important to understand there's an article I wrote called Leadership is Not Atomic. People say, well, I want to be a better leader. And the analogy I use, that's like saying, I want to be a better basketball player. Okay, fine. What does that mean? Because a basketball player, you need to shoot. You need to shoot three-pointers versus shooting free throws. You need to pass. You need to rebound. You need to dribble. You need to have court sense. It's all these skills. You don't just say, well, make me a better basketball player. You focus on your shooting. You focus on your rebounding. You focus on each element. And when they come together, you are a better basketball player. Now, there is some core leadership in my book. I have a chapter on it that focuses what's the essence of leadership. But even all these other skills, a good leader knows how to negotiate. A good negotiator knows how to communicate. All these skills build upon each other. And so I think my leadership journey began as I was developing each of these skills that then all put in the building blocks as I became a leader. There mm. it is, listeners, the building blocks to help you become the leader that you need to become to lead the organization. Mark, I asked this question here with my with my guests, and that is around who's your favorite leader. Now, this person can be alive or can be from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? There is a new one who's come up that's probably high on everyone's list. We are recording this mid-March, and Zelensky has just been showing phenomenal leadership in any age by any standard. Since it's a little new and almost feels a little like an easy one, I'm going to go with my more traditional answer. But I, I want to give a shout out to him for the amazing things he is doing right now. My traditional yep. number one leader is Abraham Lincoln, who had to deal with just the most volatile time in U.S. history as the country was tearing itself in two, had the leadership, the courage, the vision to take the country down a very difficult path and keep us together. And that is not easy to do. Mm. That is spot on because taking the country down a difficult path 
but still keeping people, everyone together. That's the key in it. That's really, and I think there's a lot of leaders out there even today in organizations and so forth, that if the leader makes a decision about where the business is going, the leader could be the board of directors or it could be the CEO, whatever it is, if they're going to go down that track, not everyone may buy into it, may, may, may find there's a little bit of division happening within the company. Keeping everyone together, that's the key. That's huge. And that's when you look at Zelensky, just to give another shout out, this is a man who his country, he could have easily putting his personal safety first. He could have left and said, no, no, keep fighting. It's bad. But putting himself there front and center, taking on the risk personally, he has unified his country in a way that really just takes him to a whole other level. And what a lot of people don't know, it's easy to say, okay, right now we see what he's doing. When he got the presidency a couple of years ago, he knew what was coming. This is not Ukraine all of a sudden said, we had no idea. They had been planning. He had built up the military last few years. He knew what was coming. And so he also did the preparation work that put them in this position. Too many leaders are reactionary. And the best leaders see what's coming, set their people up to be prepared for certain likely scenarios. Fantastic. Yep, you're too right. And I actually, I do every Friday an Ask Dennis freestyle kind of episode. And a couple, couple episodes back, I did one, Leaders Don't Abandon the Ship. And I talked about the Italian captain of that cruise ship that sort of sunk a few years ago. And I think 36 people died. And he abandoned the ship while there were still 300 passengers on board, right? And then I talk about Zelensky as well, as well, not abandoning the ship, staying there and totally going, you know, saying what you just said there and about it. And I think you're so right. I think it's he had the vision, thought about what was going to happen, strategized, put a plan in place, implemented it, executed it. And now, as you said, it takes guts, it takes courage and being bold to actually stand your ground and be there. And I think you, by you actually using him as an example, I think it's spot on. Then relate that to Abraham Lincoln, the example you just given there too. Same thing, stood his ground. And let's look at some counter examples that are going to come up. I'm making this prediction in March of 2022. Right now, the world is saying, we stand with Ukraine. Yes, we oppose Russia very bad. We're seeing oil prices spike. Here is what we're recording in March 2022. Oil prices are spiking. We're saying it's the right thing to do. Six months from now, when there is massive pain at the pump, six months from now, when we're going into summer in EU and in North America, but as we get into the fall, as we see heating prices rise, as it gets really painful, nowhere near as painful as what the Ukrainians are going through, will the politicians who today are saying, you know, we need to take on this pain because it's the right thing to do. Will they still do so? We know that individual people are going to say, this is hard. This is hurting my wallet. Will those politicians have the courage to say, this is the right thing to do, both morally to support the Ukrainians, as well as practically, if we stop Russia today, it is cheaper than if we have to stop them tomorrow in Poland, in Norway, and other countries. But it will be easy for the politicians to say, okay, you know what? You're complaining. I'm going to pander to you. We're going to do things that will lower the cost. And that's going to get me reelected, even though that's not the right long-term strategy. And I think we're going to see some leadership failures down the road. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I, and I like what you said about the election times, right? They're going to be reelected. And so they're going to do what they want to do to make sure they get reelected. Maybe we get you back on the show six, seven months from now and see what's going on and saying, see, told you so. Be interesting. Hold me to it, right or wrong. Yeah, that'd be cool. Very good. Hey, um, the show here is called Leadership is Changing. When I mentioned the show's title or that statement, what does that mean for you? I have a section in my leadership chapter on the myth of the alpha male. When you think about a leader, 
go back, especially 20, 30, 40 years, but we see it somewhat today. Think about the image of a leader. And if you're not clear how to think about this person, look at Hollywood movies, look at TV, look at who is the leading man, who is the hero of the movie. I don't just mean action movie. Okay, that's the person who shoots the bad guy, James Bond saves the world, but the corporate leader, the corporate person who is the leading man, what is his behavior? And what we typically saw was this stereotype, this almost macho, did not show emotion, made quick decisions and stuck to them, wouldn't take gruff from anyone. And that was our vision of a leader. And unfortunately, we still carry some of that today. But really, the best leaders, they might not make snap decisions. They might say, hey, I need to think about this. I don't have the answer offhand. Now, we don't want someone who goes back and forth and back and forth, make a decision, stick to it. But it doesn't mean you have to make a decision on the spot. It doesn't mean you can't be emotional. We now, in today's society, if a man cries, that's okay. When I was a kid growing up, that was seen as a sign of weakness. And so we're starting to recognize these old views of what a leader has to be, which was very masculine, stereotypical, no longer holds. Unfortunately, I think there's still some vestiges of that and people still look to those qualities in a leader. And that unfortunately leads us down a bad path because we're looking for these attributes as opposed to what is true leadership. And so some people get misled. Hmm. The myth of the alpha male, like it. And that's a, that's a, a section in the chapter of the book, which would be good. So listeners, check out this book, The Career Toolkit. I think it's going to be worthwhile for you to check it out because Mark's sharing some wonderful insights with us. And I think, Mark, about the leadership side of things, leaders are having to change. They're actually having to be different than what it was when you and I were growing up as as, as young kids and, that, and so totally different as it is. And I don't know about you, but for me, I'm finding that over the last couple of years, in fact, a lot of those attributes you just talked about is getting louder and louder from people. they wanting leaders to be more real, transparent transparent and so forth. And I'm hearing it more. I'm not sure whether you are too. Yeah, I think we are. We want to see a leader who's vulnerable, who can show emotion and relate to us and isn't this superhuman, perfect person. Because we know that's not true. In fact, even during the pandemic, the fact that we've all seen that your kid or your pet runs into the Zoom five years ago, he said, yeah, that's a little unprofessional. And I go, yeah, that's normal. And you know what? This CEO, as you're doing a town hall with 5,000 people and the CEO says, hey, listen, my baby's crying. I have to hold her. I go, Oh, hey, I have that problem too. I can relate. He understands me. This is good. I like him more. So I think laying people in and showing you're not perfect and showing the reality, I think that's something people really connect to today, as you point out. Okay, good. Let's let's stay with the the actual theme around leadership is changing here. And we talk about your book, The Career Toolkit. And I'm talking thinking more about leaders now developing themselves to move on to bigger roles, onto another role, maybe even going out and starting their own business, becoming an entrepreneur, consultant, that type of thing. What are your thoughts about today? Because, I mean, a lot of leaders used to be in a role for 5, 10, 15 years, where now it's a lot quicker, 2 years, 80 months, and so forth. What do you reckon leaders need to do nowadays to stay ahead of the curve and make sure that they're developing themselves going forward to enable them to move into these other careers or into a business? You need to be intentional and have a career plan. And here's the part that kills me. If your CEO came to you and she said, This is a major project. You have to work on this the next two years. It is absolutely critical. Two years, go. What do you do? Do you say, okay, I understand, really important. Call you up in two years and cross our fingers. Hopefully we get there. She's not going to accept that. She's going to say, no, I want to see a project plan. I want to have milestones. I want you to check in. I want to know how we're doing. 
And that's what we do. We create that project plan. We create a budget. We create a timeline. Now, we know with that project, we don't say, well, here's what I'm doing on day 562. I have no idea. But I have that overall time frame. I know what I'm doing near term. The rest is a little fuzzier. And then I update as I go. I'll figure out quarter number seven in quarter number five or six. And that's okay. But when it comes to our career and you say, okay, you want to be here in five years, people say, yeah, but how the heck am I going to know what I'm doing year two, three, four? I can't plan that far ahead. And so they toss up their hands and go nowhere. So just like what we do for our projects at work, you need to do that for your life because this is that critical project that determines so much of your success or failure. So we need to create a plan. And similar to how we do our project planning, I get a little more specific into the details in chapter one of my book, but think about that plan. It's okay if it's going to be fuzzier further out. And it's absolutely okay if you refine it and change it along the way, perfectly normal. So don't get into analysis paralysis. Don't think it's too big and complex complex, not having a plan. That's like not having a plan for your work projects. You know that's going to lead to failure. Yeah, I love the analogy. I think you're spot on. That's really cool. So listeners, don't get complacent. Don't sit back. Uh, think about your career as a project as a, and pull together a plan and be intentional. I uh, like what Mark said there about being intentional because if we are intentional and deliberate and we go out and then do things, who knows where you may end up? Well, think about it. Pull a plan together and get it underway and see how we go. Mark, you and I and everyone else listening in this podcast and out there in the world, that we live in a very fast-changing world. It's uh, The pace is just getting faster, whether it's around data, technology, social, business. It's just getting faster all the time. So what makes a leader successful today in this fast-paced, ever-changing world? It is understanding that leadership is no longer a solo practitioner activity. When I lead a team or an organization, it's not just me. I am becoming more of a coordinator. I have to recognize the answers are coming from a broader set of people because I can't be on top of all the data, all the information, all the changes. And I can't just say, well, you tell me the information and I'll make the decision because even that doesn't scale and it doesn't get buy-in. So we have to recognize it's no longer, well, I'm the person leading the team. I might be the primary leader. I might be top of the hierarchy, if that's how you still look at, but it's not solely me. It is us leading together. Yeah, wonderful. Now, Mark, you and I have been talking about leaders and the leadership side of things. Let's change gears or change lenses, if I can put it that way, and think of from now from an employee's perspective, right? So how's employees' expectations of leaders changed? Employees, especially today, again, March of 2022, coming out of the great resignation as we're on the tail end of it, it is no longer, you just tell me what to do. They want to feel connected. People are leaving companies, not simply because they want more pay, but because they're saying, I feel disconnected. I feel that you don't care about me. You're just using me like a workhorse telling me what to do. I want that engagement. I want that caring. We've seen the companies that said to their employees during COVID, we're worried about you. What can we do to support your mental health, to support you during this time of stress? They had better retention than the ones who said, look, it's tough all over. Deal with it. So leaders today need to show empathy, concern. They need to engage with more than just, well, this is a business transaction and you work for me. We need to 
increase the relationship part of that leadership. Yeah, cool. I'm, I'm glad you actually said that because I'm wondering for our listeners as well, those who are in leadership roles, what do you reckon is one, two or three things that it might need to do in addition to what you said to actually look after their staff, retain their staff, in fact, even try and attract new talent into the organization. Any ideas of what they should be doing? The first thing you should do is get to know your employees. Think, well, yeah, I I know them. I know their names. I know what they do. Whenever I hire someone on their first day or when I join a company over the next few weeks as I meet the team, I sit down with folks and I talk to them. Now, plenty of it is on tell me about your role here. Tell me about what we need to change, what's working, what's not. I also get to know them personally. I get to know their background, where they've been, where they've come from. I get to know their interests, where they're going. Where do you want to be? in two years, in five years, in 10 years. And by the way, I'm very comfortable with the answer that means not here. I'm okay with that. We have to be open and honest about these conversations that you and I might be working together today, but maybe not in five years. And it's okay to be honest about that. And by knowing where someone is going, I can help them get there. And now they start to realize I'm not just there to say, are you doing what I need? Are you delivering the project or whatever my boss wants from me? I'm concerned about your interests as well. Now, this also plays out in small things. I'll give you an example. When I have my team work overtime, when we have a big project deadline, like, look, we have to work long hours. In addition to any other type of compensation, it might be bonuses, it might be days off. Sometimes it might just be, well, two nights, we have late nights, but supposing it's, we're talking weeks. Okay, I need to compensate them, so extra days off or whatever. I also always send thank you gifts. I'm a big fan of those gift baskets. But I don't just say, well, here you go. Here's what you you get. For example, those who are married, I will address it to the employee and the spouse. Because I'm thanking the spouse as well, who had to also pay a price of your spouse wasn't here for dinner. Your spouse wasn't there taking care of the kids. Thank you as well for letting us borrow this person a little extra. For a guy who he was a vegan and I made sure his gift basket, he was a non-drinking vegan, he did not get the wine and cheese gift basket that I sent to some other people. That would not have worked well. In fact, if I sent it to him, what an insult. You have worked so hard, but I know nothing about you. There's a book by Alfie Cohen called Punished by Rewards that talks about how if you're not careful in how you use them, you can create disincentives. So getting to know your employees shows that you care about them, you can align things to their needs, and those little extra things. He was so thankful that he got this gift basket that was exactly his type of food and showed I cared about him as a person. Wow. That is wow. That is awesome. I think that, as you as you said, taking time out to recognize people, but actually personalize it for them, I think is really, really good. Whether it be the vegan basket versus the actual note to the spouse. And I think that's smart what you said about also recognizing the spouse because the families do give up on things as well at times and people aren't around and the long hours that a lot of leaders are actually working. Mark, I'm going to get you to get your crystal ball out now. We're going to talk about the future here. Where do you see leadership being in five years? I hope, although I don't expect, that it will have gone further down the path that we've been talking about. People are going to be more connected, more caring. I think certainly DEI initiatives have will continue to gain pace, and so we'll all be more aware and supportive of those types of issues. I think we're going to suffer a problem. We see now hybrid workplace, remote work has become more common. And I'll note, I was doing hybrid and virtual workplaces for decades prior to COVID, working in tech. I've had teams around the world. I've had companies where we were completely virtual. So I'm used to working in this. 
we have to recognize that the nature of how we lead is going to be different when we're not in the office five days a week. And I think people are going to struggle with that. So for the next couple of years, there's going to be some volatility. I'd like to say we'll have it figured out in five years. My guess is 10 to 20% of us will have it figured out in five years and the rest will still be struggling with it. And it's going to be years more before they catch up to how we need to adjust our leadership. Yeah. And Mark, you know, we talk about people working from home. Do you think leaders are going to struggle to, and people are going to struggle, the employees are going to struggle to come back into the office? Are they going to, that transition back two years being working at home, now having to go back in? Do you think there will be a struggle there as well? There will be a bit. And now first we have to remember there is a variety of demand for going back into the office. There are people, I mean, just pick a couple archetypes, but this certainly doesn't mean everyone who fits it applies. You have that person who is 50 years old, has a couple kids living in the suburbs who says, this is a long commute. Do I really want to spend an hour a day each way commuting? No, I'm fine. Good where I am. I'll get a promotion some point in the future. I don't care. This is fine. It's not worth the commute. You might have someone else who is 24, who first lives in a small apartment with roommates. I'm thinking about people I know in New York City. Well, I want to get out of this apartment. I know lots of young folks who like the socialization of the office. They also need to be in that office to learn by osmosis, learn by just being there, being around, having those informal conversations with others to upskill themselves because they're early in their career. And so they might want to be in the office. On the other hand, there are other 24-year-olds who say, this is great. It's all about experience and lifestyle when I don't want to be a slave to the office. So I'm going to live on a beach and do it. So we do get a wide variety of interest. And as a company, as leaders, it's important that we think about the implications of having such variability and what we can do to get some consistency. A little like Lincoln, we need to recognize what is the future, even if it's painful. Now, the future might be we're all virtual, we're all hybrid, or maybe you'll even say everyone gets to pick and choose. I think that's the hardest path. And so I suspect leaders will need to say, this is what we're doing at this company. It will be painful where some people won't like it, but in the long run, having some standards and consistency is probably best for the company. Fascinating discussion with you today, Mark. Thank you for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get a hold of you, where should they go? You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. There you can see where to buy it, Amazon and other places. You can follow me on social media or again, touch with me. I put out additional content each week in my blog. There is a free app on the Android and iPhone store with lots of great content from the book to help you retain it. That's linked from the website. And then there's the resources page where I have that free download for that peer learning group, the Career Toolkit Development Program, as well as other free downloads, links to free online resources, and other books for those wanting to go deeper on some topics. All of this is at thecareertoolkitbook.com. Awesome. And we'll put those into the show notes as well. So, Mark, that's awesome. Thanks for being with us. Well, there you go, listeners. Check out the Career Toolkit. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Look out for the episodes as they're being released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friends, your family, and your network. Hey, if there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show, or if there's a question you have for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, then send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 